0: Well this is Richard Wilson from the Family Office Club and today we're doing an investor mandate interview with uh, Adi, welcome Adi.
1: Hi Richard, thank you for having me.
0: Sure, and I know you wear a couple of different hats. Uh, what type of an investor or investment firm do you represent?
1: I oversee alternatives at a $6 billion reinsurance company. I concurrently oversee all investors from my family. in late stage opportunities and also invests in early stage opportunities and niche late stage uh, outside the company's mandate.
0: I see. Uh, I've been reading through this big yellow book of every one of Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letters since like 1959 or something like that. And I know from reading that just a little bit about reinsurance, my understanding is that the difference between an insurance company and reinsurance is they're the stronger balance sheet backer, big brother backer of some of the smaller Uh, balance sheet insurance companies out there. Is that the difference, just for people who aren't familiar?
1: Basically, reinsurance companies take away some of the risk that primary insurance companies underwrite, whether entire uh, slice of risk, 0 to 100%, or tranches of the other risk, the first 20, the last 40, uh, etc. By doing so, they enable the primary insurance companies to underwrite more risk and allow the risk to be spread more evenly across the industry.
0: Okay. And I think that many people in our club approach single family offices, multifamily offices, wealth advisors, angel investors, private investors all day long, or a lot of the time, many of them have never spoken to a reinsurance company in their life. When is it not a waste of time to go to a reinsurance company? Do you have to be 300 million in AUM and fund number five and five, 10 million of EBITDA or whatever, big numbers only. And what is that threshold? And what is it that you are hungry for? Only things that are rated with income and AAA rated safe income, or can you uh, give people some hints or guidelines there so nobody wastes their time thinking this is a new, exciting, you know, solution to all their problems, raising capital and, and don't waste other people's time.
1: Sure. The short answer is it depends. The longer answer is I can give a reflection of uh, how, uh, our uh, company looks at things. Uh, typically, uh, sub 500 million is generally an area uh, uh, of fund size that we do not look at. Uh, prefer uh, investing in uh, funds that are not fund one or two, but typically three or higher. Uh, that being said, we have done fund ones. Uh, we have looked at opportunities sub 500 million on a uh, more opportunistic basis. Okay, but I'm just going to give you general themes here. Okay. Uh, Current income is definitely a focus. High single current, uh, low to mid double total return is an optimal profile, uh, particularly post-COVID. Rated structures are of interest, uh, but the challenge is how is that opportunity structured? If it's in a fund, rated fund structure, certain uh, uh, rating agencies uh, have been doing that quite a bit, and uh, we tend to shy away from those because- the regulator might not look at them as favorably. Uh, so it, it depends on how it's structured, the underlying opportunity and collateral is most important. If there's a rating angle as well that will be accepted by the regulators, that's just an added benefit.
0: Okay, okay, great, that's good to know. Um, and on the personal side for the family office side, how much does what you do uh, on the reinsurance side cross-pollinate or what's the big difference in your scope and interest on investing on the family office side?
1: The family makes two types of private market commitments. The first are co-investing alongside the insurance company whenever there is an overage opportunity uh, because the insurance company has to get its maximum allocation first before the family can feed in the pie, so to speak. Uh, So that's where the family gets its late stage private equity and real estate fund and direct exposure. The second bucket are opportunities outside that mandate which are early stage or niche late stage.
0: Okay great and what would be the number one um, thing that you're looking for on the family office side where you've either done a lot of those deals you can add a ton of strategic value or when you talk to your family you say wow if we could find five more deals like that we would do those all day long. What What is that type of deal?
1: Uh, are you familiar with vertical SaaS? It's basically a very area within SaaS uh, for industries that are uh, mission critical software for niche industries. Uh, Part of the reason I'm interested in that sector in particular is the ones that I've seen thus far, these are all roll-up plays. They are having their first external round of funding, but are acquiring companies at entry that are typically cash flow positive or at minimum EBITDA positive. And the idea is They'll only have one round of external funding and at that point be growing organically from, acquis- from the underlying cash flow uh, in the acquisitions. And that intrigues me in this market. So I'm very interested in that sector.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I think COVID has um, made some of those companies move even faster. Uh, and also recently I saw a SaaS company that was uh, being valued at 16 times revenue. Um, And just because of that structure versus their competitors. So they're able to acquire someone that was being valued at five times revenue and, you know, have that valuation arbitrage to their advantage. So uh, it's interesting. Great. Well, um, we've loved having you on our discussion panels in the past and speaking at our super summit and appreciate you being part of the family office club. Uh, My last question for today is what is the number one investment insight that you could provide? Maybe something you wish you knew 20 years ago. Um, in the industry it could be related to due diligence or investing or dealing with other investors etc
1: do do your diligence Uh, you know there's no question that is uh, uh, sacred and cannot be asked I think if you're not asking the question uh, there's a reason why and you might want to avoid that opportunity if for whatever reason you're uh, afraid or uncomfortable asking the, the hard questions
0: right right yeah no i think that's good advice i think some investors are timid you know they're embarrassed to ask for a background check i think someone might be yes. insulted or yes. to ask for references and actually call them uh or to hire a third-party due diligence service that's going to be a pain in their rear for three weeks but you know you're trusting them with your money so you know you Definitely. shouldn't be shy about those things as part of your message i guess right
1: absolutely absolutely yeah.
0: Great. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. So if anyone would like to get a hold uh, of Adi, then just let us know and uh, reach out through Jennifer. If you're a member of the Family Office Club, then we're happy to get you connected to people here on the daily investor mandates or the weekly discussion panels and live events that we're doing. So thanks again for your time and hope to see you at another event soon.
1: Thanks, Richard.
0: Take care.